episode 136 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Today on the podcast, we've had Stanford versus Arizona, we've had Gonzaga versus Baylor, but now it's time for the biggest title fight of all, Godzilla versus Kong. Our review is coming up, but first, how are you, Scott? I'm doing well. Scott, we were talking about before we started recording how movies are back, baby. This film, Godzilla vs. Kong, I don't know if Tom, I would expect it. Tom Cruise voice. Here we are again, back at <laughs> the movies. Exactly, exactly. I mean, this thing, <laughs> I mean, I have no idea what, what Legendary and Warners were expecting when they dropped this thing. I mean, this is the, fir- I mean, this is the first big tentpole with like full distribution, right? Like LA and New York are open. Uh, th- this was the film that was brave enough to, to open cinemas back and it opened cinema, Scott. It opened. I think cinema. what you're saying is, Scott, is that Christopher Nolan just got alphaed by Adam Wingard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I mean, look, l- let's just put it this way. Adam Wingard doesn't have the balls to release a film in September of a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can, that's, the, that's the flip side of it. That's the other way of looking at it, because Nolan had yeah. no choice, of course. But uh, No, no choice. Out. I think he's the reason why that movie got released. I think one of them perfectly no happy. Choice, I'm saying he had no choice but to put it out in the limited you know, if range he was of theaters it. that were actually open at the time when he released it in September. Sure. Yeah, I think he could have chosen to not release it in September. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because for all, I, I, I mean, don't think all, he ever considered that to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, for for all we understand, it is him that made that movie release in September. Yeah. Which, hey, I was happy about it. I'm not gonna complain. But yeah, I think I think in terms of box office returns, he did get alphaed by Adam Wingard. Yeah, uh, I guess we'll we'll find out in a, in a moment or so whether that uh, is is true of the quality of the movie itself. And I, and I got to uh, say this much too, Scott. And what we've learned from Godzilla vs Kong is that there can't be two Alpha Titans. So now that they, they're going to have to go have a death match somewhere, preferably in Hollow uh, Earth, because that'd be pretty cool. Godzilla versus Kong. I mean, what is a good title match without a rematch? You know, a few months, years later, whatever. Uh, I mean, I, I think. Uh, I think that it's inevitable that uh, we're going to have some sort of a uh, rejoinder here for this this epic clash. But, you know, hopefully when that rejoinder comes, it does not fizzle out in the way that uh, Gonzaga versus Baylor did. Oh my God, uh, so to depressing. go back to my reference. And hopefully it is more on the Stanford versus Arizona side of things, because that was a pretty exciting game. Yeah. But... Uh, Let's see where uh, this iteration of Godzilla vs. Kong falls on that spectrum of uh, recent basketball title games that we've seen. Uh, Scott, with our review here, uh, our movie is Godzilla vs. Kong, the latest film in the legendary MonsterVerse. Directed by Adam Wingard, Godzilla vs. Kong kicks off with the titular monsters poised for an inevitable battle. Kong is housed in a giant dome on Skull Island. But when Godzilla's rampages begin to threaten thousands, doctors Nathan Lind and Eileen Andrews, played by Alexander Skarsgård and Rebecca Hall, make the difficult decision to release Kong from the dome and lure him to the mysterious hollow earth where a power source awaits that can stop Godzilla's strange attacks. Meanwhile, conspiracy theorist Bernie Hayes, played by Brian Tyree Henry, links up with teens Madison and Josh, played by Millie Bobby Brown and Julian Dennison, to investigate the suspicious goings-on at Apex Cybernetics, a massive tech corporation headed by billionaire Walter Simmons, played by Damian Bashir. Their investigation will soon lead them to a shocking discovery within the Apex Labs, but most importantly, it leads, to the tit- it leads the titular monsters into the mighty clash that has had the internet abuzz with anticipation for months. So, Scott, does Godzilla vs. Kong deliver the epic thrills of a great title fight, or does this creature feature fizzle out with a round one KO? Yeah, I mean, interesting question. I think that j- just to answer that specific question directly, I think that it, it does deliver the title fight uh, that we're looking for. There is a clear winner. There was some debate that we were having before we started recording, like whether there there was a clear winner. I think that there there was. Um, there was also a, a, another side fight afterwards. I, I, I guess you could say like the title fight ended up being an undercard. I don't know. It, it went like full WWE, like, you know, <laughs> mismatch at the end and, and then the climactic moments. But 
I mean, look, there, there's like a this is I think this is a two hour movie. We'll call it a two hour movie. It might be a little bit shorter than that. I think the first hour, 15 hour, 20 of it <clears throat> really just all is is filler to get us to to the title fight. Right. And and there is a spectacular title fight at the end. I thought that I had a, a good enough time along the way with some, you know, some teasers and some morsels, some some Godzilla and Kong fighting uh, before then. But ultimately, people turning on this movie are looking for are looking for what comes in the last half hour of it. And I think that that for the most part delivers. I think that it's it's a silly it's a silly film that tries to toe the line of being both serious and silly. And it may maybe it maybe it should lean more one way than the other. I think that we could probably have a conversation about that. But ultimately, look, there this this film is not memorable in the sense of like, oh wow, we really created some some I guess we, we really played a fitting homage to like the his, the history of these like two characters in, in Godzilla and Kong. And I'm talking about history beyond just like the previous three films in the MonsterVerse. Um instead what you got was, you know, something something more akin to like an MA an MMA title fight with you know, some ground rules and, and, you know, having, you know, whether or not one is going to bow to the other as as the true as the true king of the monsters and whatnot. It, it seemed kind of funny in that in that way. I don't know. I had, a, I had a really good time with this film ultimately. But, you know, is this going to be on my top 10 of 2021 list? Uh, I, I doubt it. <laughs> yeah, we were having the conversation, Scott. We both came to the agreement that we need a version of that meme of the people going crazy in the bar um yeah, but the thing that they are reacting to is just rebecca hall saying the line kong bow kong bows to no one um because yeah that the delivery is just chef's kiss i mean it's um, shakespeare it's a shakespeare delivery yeah but scott look we talked a few weeks ago about nomadland right which i don't know if i said it on the podcast at the time but i said it to you when i watched the movie for the first time i was like this is one of the most scott harvey movies that could possibly exist like this movie yeah. is just it's so much in my camp um like i i was basically destined to like it from the beginning sure. uh on the other end of the spectrum i think is godzilla versus kong this is probably one of the least scott harvey movies uh, that that you could find out there yeah. um mainly because it does a couple of things that uh, I do not like in movies that are just, again, kind of a personal preference type of thing. Uh, you know, they're going to work for some people. And you know what? Those people deserve happiness, too. So I hope that they get happiness from watching this movie. But uh, I did not get happiness from watching, number one, uh, tr this movie trying to make me feel any sort of emotional connection to a giant ape and or a giant lizard monster um those being the the title figures uh because to be fair i don't think this movie's trying to make you feel feel much for godzilla but certainly kong i mean kong is like the for kong, yes yes but there you know there is even still some godzilla stuff especially with millie bobby brown's character you know running around like you know godzilla is not who they say that he is you know and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff it's like we're supposed to have developed some sort of goodwill to him which maybe if you've seen the other godzilla yeah. movies from, from the I other two you so, have yeah, yeah. Yeah, then maybe you do have that, um, and so it's not as big of a leap. But um, yeah. for Kong, certainly, right? There's there's so much that is predicated on this relationship between him and this young deaf girl um, that is just you know it it's laughable to me. Like uh, almost every single interaction between the two of them was I just found laughable to be honest. But that's just my own personal thing. Again, like I I just I don't get into movies when it is asking me to connect with some non-human you know creature creation whatever that doesn't speak or behave in a human-like manner uh um, does speak though yeah that is true at, at the one point they're like did he just talk i was like please please save the movie by like making him talk at least <laughs> uh but sadly they didn't go down that route so that's a personal preference thing and this movie definitely goes on you know the extreme end of the spectrum that i do not um do not care for almost reminded me of like a Jurassic World movie in a way. I do think this movie is better made than the Jurassic World movies. Um, but again, that that part of it just doesn't connect for me in the same way that those Jurassic World movies don't. Uh, also, you know, you mentioned the word, you said the word filler, uh, or I mean, that's, that's one part of it is that there's the filler, which I'll get to in a second. But the other thing, which I typically don't like, um, and, and you, you said uh, that this movie is towing the line between being serious or silly. I think it's very clearly on one side of the line, uh, for me at least, and that was the serious side. And 
this movie is ridiculous, right? The concept of this movie is absolutely ridiculous. Um, and yet everyone, I think, watching the movie seems to realize that, but nobody who was in the movie or made the movie seemed to realize that because they are, you know, delivering this in such a straightforward, straight line. I mean, you know, you just said it, like it's it's Shakespeare. We're referring to that one line. Well, Rebecca course, Hall is for sure. I, I disagree it, about some other characters, but yeah, certainly Rebecca Hall. Of course, it's not Shakespeare. Um, and, you know, that, that, but, but that is the way that they are performing it, right? As, as if that every single line has such great importance. Um, and that's why I think the Kong bows to no one, right? It's such a funny line, right? Because it's, it's such a ridiculous line and concept, but it is delivered with such gravitas. And like, yeah, I agree with you about Rebecca Hall. We'll get to the performances in a second. I just think that the, the mistake that they made maybe in the casting of this movie was that the actors that they uh, put in the movie are too good for be, to be in this movie, right? Like you that's talk like about- every one of these films though, just like the casts are absurd. Right, in these no, and, and that's the thing. Like the problem is they're so good that they cannot help but bring gravitas to this material, right? As ridiculous as it may be. When really you just need Nicolas Cage or somebody or John Malkovich, yeah, you know, I was just thinking eating exactly. the scenery. Nick Cage saying uh, Kong bows to no one would have just been iconic. You know, not not suggesting that like Nicholas Cage or John Malkovich are, are bad actors. Qu quite the contrary. But they know how to like give these Deliver. types of campy bad performances when that is the type of movie that they are in. Right. We've seen that before. Um, and that's just not the type of actor that a lot of these people who are cast in this movie are. So I, th I think that is one of the reasons why the movie comes off so deadly serious. I mean, again, some of the line deliveries, like, I love when when the first fight is about to happen. Um, yeah, and insane. like Godzilla, Godzilla shows up and uh, the deaf girl does some sign language and uh, Alexander Skarsgård is like, what did she say? <laughs> and like she did like several different signs and Rebecca Hall is just like Godzilla. <laughs> That's it. She just goes Godzilla. That was the only thing that she said apparently. And again, it's just delivered so seriously. It's just um it it does come off funny in the way that I had hoped the movie I mean like I had hoped this movie would be funny. But again, I don't think that that was their intent in um you know the way that the performances ended up. So those are some of the things which didn't connect with me. Yeah, going back to you know, the filler point. Yeah, that's that's the problem with a movie like this, right? Is that if you're literally going to call your movie Godzilla v. Kong, if you're going to center it all around this central fight, there's no way that you can make a feature-length movie that is not going to be substantially filler, right? Because, you know, the fight itself can't go on for an hour and 40 minutes. And, you know, maybe they try to solve this a little bit, right, by having that initial fight. There ends, up, there ends up being two fights and then they introduce someone else into the um, mix at the end. Well, you know, we won't spoil it yet, but, um, you know, another something gets introduced at the end that sort of spices up that final fight. But even still, right, there's so much plot going on that just don't, no one cares about this. No one cares about the yeah. plot of, of this movie. Like, I there's cannot stress that enough. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's way too much, like, even a little bit probably would have been too much. And, and that's the problem, right? I just don't know how you make a version of this movie that that, that isn't, you know, made up of a fair amount of, of filler, of just like getting these two creatures together, right? Yeah. And, and, to, is... and to be clear, like I, I, I don't necessarily think, and, and Scott, you, like, I, if you disagree, feel free to say so, but like, I don't think, like, like filler is not inherently bad. Like, in a film like this, like you need filler. It's like inevitable. You won't make you like you like you said, you literally won't have a movie if you don't have some filler. It's about like making the filler entertaining enough and pacing it well enough. Like you said, like they had this sort of like undercard fight, so to speak, of yeah. of them at the sea. And then I think the Hollow Earth stuff is like interesting lore, like lore wise, especially if you've watched the other movies. Like, I mean, this whole notion of Hollow Earth has existed in at least two of the other three movies. And so like that was something that was interesting for me. And I thought paced the movie pretty well, but ultimately, like you're absolutely right. Like if you, if you want to go to like, you know, no filler, like you don't really need to, you need like a 45 minute, a 45 minute short film. Yeah. Well, and I think the issue that we're, we're circling around here is right. The characters aren't engaging again, going yeah, I mean, back that's, to that's, that's true. the performances and all that, the characters aren't engaging. And this has been like a big debate and stuff and talking about these movies on the, in the internet, right. About how, Oh, the common criticism is, well, the human characters aren't interesting. And so, you you know, you have that side of people. And then you have the side of people who are like, I don't care if the human characters are interesting. This is a 
monsters fighting movie, whatever. And like, I understand yeah. where they're coming from. Right. But like, at the end of the day, I think that is ultimately the issue. And, and, you know, why, uh, with what we were saying, right. Why the movie does feel like so much filler, right. Is because they're, um, there aren't engaging human characters and it's all well and good to say well this is a monster movie this is about monsters fighting we don't need you know engaging characters we just need big creatures punching each other but at the end of the day you have to make a movie that is feature length right and you know maybe there's some people out there that would be satisfied with just an hour and 45 minute fight um but uh, the average moviegoer is not, and I, I don't think that that is creatively interesting at all. So I, I think, you know, as much as people like to sort of turn their nose up at the criticism that the humans weren't engaging in these movies about two giant monsters fighting, uh, I think there is a lot of uh, validity to that criticism when you actually sit down, parse it out, see yeah. how it plays out over the course of the movie. Yeah, uh, and, and I think the, like, the, the weight of that criticism, like how far you index one direction or the other, just ultimately comes down something that I think you were saying earlier, which is just personal preference, or like how much you care about the characters sure. being interesting versus how much you are just there to, you know, for that, you know, final showdown at, at the end of the film. And for me, I, I think I, I like to think of myself as somewhere in the middle, um, which is, you know, not to be, not to spoil anything, but it's just like, which is where I pretty much fall in this movie is, is I, I feel like in the middle. Um, and I like, you know, I'm someone who agree with what you're saying about Rebecca Hall's character, about it, you know, being an incredibly serious character. But I don't know. I, I found Brian Tyree Henry and Alexander Sarsgaard to be pretty different in their delivery than Rebecca Hall. I think like the the kooky conspiracy theorist podcaster is like such an inherently silly role that it's kind of hard to play that in the, with the, like the same level of sincerity as as like Rebecca Hall is doing with her like scientists trying to make sure Kong makes it out of this fight alive or whatever. And then on the other hand, this like research, this hollow earth researcher, I don't know, like Skarsgård, it, it felt like he was just sort of like, I don't know, had his tongue in his cheek, like pretty much half the, half the movie um, as he delivered his lines to me. Like he wasn't playing, he certainly wasn't playing it as serious as Rebecca Hall. And I think that it's possible that they could, he could, they both could have gone further in, you know, the opposite direction, something like a Damien Bashir uh, was was doing with this sort of like Bond villain type almost. He doesn't even register as a character, though, really. Well, like, like half of these the characters in this film are on the screen for like five minutes, right? Yeah, um, but like Damien Bashir, right, is pitched as like, he here is the big villain. I mean, you know, you see him for the first time and you're like, okay, here's the big villain of the movie. He's yeah. barely in the movie. He doesn't get any time at all to be... You know, again, a sort of like I want to see him twirling his mustache and doing yeah, and doing the sort of Bond villain type thing, and we just we didn't get any of that. Um, no, we didn't. But what we got instead of instead of having more more screen time for him is what we got is we got a you know a third monster in the mix, which I was more than happy yeah. to to settle with. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I found Scar. I didn't find Scarsgard to be doing the tongue in cheek thing necessarily that that you were um, alluding to. Brian Tyree Henry, look, I'm a huge fan of the guy. I think that, you know, he's try he's trying, I guess. But it's honestly, it's hard for me to to delineate where you know the performance, him giving color to the performance is, and where it is just, oh, this is kind of a screwball character on paper, the podcaster. Um, sure. That you know he's just he's playing it straight uh, as as it is written you know on the page and maybe that character is just a little weirder i just felt like he could have gone even further and even campier with that um character but on the flip side right because no one else in the movie at least for me was on that level it would have also come off super weird if you have this one character who is really just like high camp and everyone else not doing that um mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I don't really know what the outcome, well, well, what the desired outcome is. I, I say that, but you know, what, what I'm really getting at is I wish that the, the movie had just like said, forget about, you know, trying to, to take anything seriously here. We're just gonna, you know, be as goofy as possible with this. Um, and, but you know, it, it never really got there for me, even though there were like little flashes again, like setting up this character as a conspiracy theorist podcaster, Okay, but also like these people exist in real life nowadays, right? And I, I don't. Yeah, that don't is one thing I, I did want to say that I, if it that left me, BTH. it left a weird taste in my mouth. That element yeah. of it.
I don't know that BTH's character is as removed from reality as perhaps I would have wanted him to be in this sort of podcaster well, he, role. He's as removed from reality as all the other conspiracy theorist podcasters. I feel like they are. Sure. So. But that's the problem. The fact that there are all these other ones means that it is a sort of reality in and of itself that these people exist at the very least. Um, so it wasn't as much of a, wow, this is a weird, crazy, like sort of weird character I've never really seen before yeah. uh, that is on that is matching the tone of this crazy weird movie about creatures that I, you know, have never seen before fighting each other. Like never, never before seen, never before seen Godzilla and Kong. You heard it here first. They've never yeah. been cited before. Um, but yeah, I mean, so, so that's kind of the main cast. Scott, you're saying, what, what more is there to say about the cast in this movie? Are there other performances in the supporting cast? You know, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to think here, you know, I mentioned Millie Bobby Brown and, uh, Julian Dennison, who are sort of the two teens that team up here with Brian Tyree Henry. You have um, uh, you have Kyle Chandler showing up for like two minutes. Now I understand he was in main the other character in the previous movie. Um, I was really he's, surprised he's the, how little he's in this film. Yeah, he's of course the father of Millie Buffy Brown's character. But like, uh, it, you know, if he hadn't been in the other movies, like I question, I would have sincerely questioned why they brought him back for literally you know what what amounts to an absolutely nothing role in this movie uh, a cameo i think i think we call that a cameo it's a shame like I, I feel like the godfather meme of like they massacred my boy because i love uh kyle chandler obviously from friday night lights primarily um and so i was you know delighted to see him when he first appeared on screen but he doesn't do anything in the movie. Um, you could say the same thing about Lance Reddick, who is billed as like someone who is going to be like a, a major right. player in this movie. I think he has one scene. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, I, Isa Gonzalez as well. Like her character was just was really nothing. Um, but you know, th this is what you would expect, I guess, from like the franchise that decided that it was a good idea to like kill off Brian Cranston like 40 something minutes into the Godzilla movie. Right. Uh, that, yeah, that is my understanding of what, yeah. of what happened. Um, and well, it has Juliet Binoche in the film too. And she dies in like the prologue. God, what in the world is Juliet Binoche doing in a, in a Godzilla movie? <laughs> I mean, my to Lord. Me, it is cinema. <laughs> what can I say? You know, to some people out there, it is. I mean, that, that's the thing, Scott, a lot of people seem to be happy with this movie. And, you know, again, I I'm, I'm happy for them. Um, I, also, I, I mean, I mean, to be fair, like I was reading a little bit more about specifically the 2014 Godzilla film because that was directed by Gareth Edward before he did Rogue One. Well, yeah, who the hell knows who actually did some of Rogue, on one, yeah. Rogue One? Yeah, <laughs> one of one of the people credited on Rogue One, um, and because I was I was super interested, and and it's like all all the like it seems like a consistent thing. Like, oh, this is true for like Elizabeth Olsen's character, like Elizabeth Olsen and uh, uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson. Apparently, like. All of them were like very not sure whether they wanted to be in a Godzilla movie. And then like they talked to get like the line is they talked to Gareth Edward and then they were on board. <laughs> like, I don't know what kind of sales pitch he gave to all these people in, in, well, when he was pitching Godzilla. But correct me if I'm wrong on this, Scott, but it seems like from some reviews that I've read that the first Godzilla movie actually does try to be a little more uh, centered on the human characters. Right. And, and focus a little bit more on the human stories more so than. The monster story um and then maybe that that ship kind of sailed with the sequel and with kong skull island maybe because there's there were these criticisms of people like i don't care about the humans i just want to see the you know the big fights and everything like that yeah i yeah i think that's a little bit of a a little bit of a toss-up there for me i think i would say <clears throat> probably most most of all i would say probably i, I think king of the monsters probably does the most with its with its characters, that's the one where you, you, okay. know, you have, the, you have um, I mean, you have Kyle Chandler and Millie Bobby Brown, and then you also have um, Vera Ken Farmiga. Watanabe, right? Yeah, Vera Farmiga is also in it. Like, she's the mother of Millie Bobby Brown, and there's this whole family dynamic about, I don't want to bore people, but, like, there's there's a whole family situation there. And then there is also Ken Watanabe, um, who has this arc, because he, he's also in the 2014 Godzilla movie. And he has this kind of ongoing arc. <laughs> Sally Hawkins has a brutal death in King, in King of the Monsters. Her character just gets, I think, gets eaten by Ghidorah in like the first half of the movie. <laughs> um, pretty brutal stuff. Um, but <laughs> yeah, but Ken, Ken, I think Ken, the Ken Watanabe and then like the the Chandler, Millie Bobby Brown, Vera Farmiga family arc, I think it does the most. 
th- this film doesn't even try to do anything with its characters. And I think Kong Skull Island's like half-hearted attempt was like really bad. Although I, I really like the vibe of that movie, even though it was uh, even even though the characters, I mean, were what, what a disappointment in terms of character development that one was. But yeah, 24, the problem 2014 is that like it it tries and I think I mean, what makes people, it, people die, right? Like, so they're, they're presumably trying to make you feel some sort of emotion. Well, not really towards in these characters, not in 2014s, really. Um, we were just saying Juliette Binoche and okay, well, yeah, that happens like the first half hour of the okay. film, and then like no one else okay. dies for the rest of me. I take your point. That, I mean, that's fair. That, that that is a fair point. Um, I would say that King of the Monsters does more does more with that than yeah. than uh, in terms of like impactful, like emotionally potentially emotionally impactful deaths. King of the Monsters does more, but like this movie, I think more so than in the other ones, listens to its credit, listens to those particular right. critics, and it's just like, all right, screw it. I was going to say. It. It. People who come to these movies wanting the human thing. I mean, I think the ship has officially sailed now after Godzilla versus Kong, right? After how well it has done, after sure. how many people seem to be enjoying it, right? When it doesn't really, it doesn't even, you know, attempt to make us care about the human characters here. So I think if they're, you know, whatever future iterations we get in the legendary monster verse, they're probably going to try to um, follow in that vein, maybe more so than. Yeah whichever movie that it was that you know maybe leaned more into the human stories a little bit and again this is all personal preference obviously if you've listened to the show if you've heard me talk about the movies that i love uh i am always going to be the person who's like give me some human characters to care about here um yeah because i i can't get on the other side of it um yeah look i, I but, think that you very well might end up liking godzilla um, the 2014 yeah, version more because because of that very reason this I just didn't make that, me want to watch it <laughs> That that's fair. I mean, this movie is so different than that one. Um, yeah. Like it, it, like color palette alone, right? Like I mean, Godzilla. I don't mean to evoke this comparison in terms of like actual quality. I'll I'll let you know whoever else like be their own judges of that. But like Godzilla is like like is if Zack Snyder made a Godzilla movie. Like honestly, it's like such a dark color palette in terms of just so like, wait, the, like you think I would enjoy it. <laughs> well, no, I'm talking about aesthetics wise. Like yeah, it is just like yeah. a very dark film. It has some really it has some really great visuals. Like I think Snyder's movies often do. But it's just like a very aesthetically dark movie. It has it's exploring some dark themes. Again, quality, quality. Not not trying to make a comparison of quality there, but like there really are, is like a very washed, a very black noirish color palette to it. And then you get King of the Monsters, and like it looks like the color palette's like a freaking rainbow in this movie. Like there's so much. It, it is so light, um, bright, brightly colored, um, and more vibrant in that way. And and you know whether you care about that stuff or not, doesn't really matter, but just like the color palette of it alone is it, it really yeah. just couldn't be a more different movie in terms of, but you know, besides having huge, mon- you know, Kaiju and monsters in it. Um, so like that, but okay, Scott, let's ask the big question here before we, uh, you know, wrap up this okay. movie team. Kong. Does the, fu- does the fight <laughs> deliver, right? That Godzilla V Kong, that's what people come to this movie to see. Um, and, you know, again, most people seem to be satisfied. You know, a lot of people seem to be satisfied by, um, the way that this fight plays out. Are you among them? You know, did you find this to be, uh, you know, live up to the hype, I guess? Yeah, I I, I, I am someone who thinks that it, that the fight itself did live up to the hype. I think that it did itself a lot of favors to introduce this sort of like third character and have this. It's, it's not really a plot twist once you get like once you're at the fight, but it is a plot twist you know, earlier on when that when the third when they discover it in the lab right? in the lab. Right. It, that is a twist because um, I, I think they. I mean, I didn't really like do a lot of research going into this movie. I maybe watched one of the tra- I don't even think I'd watch a trailer for it, to be honest. Um, but I didn't know that that character was in this movie. No, um, I don't think they ever said. And, and, you know, we haven't I don't know that we've said yet, but Mechagodzilla is, of course, who we're referring to. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't think that they let on that that Mechagodzilla was going to appear in this movie. I mean, there may have been some speculation out there, but yeah, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm not plugged into Godzilla Twitter. Um, and don't plan on being in the future. God either. help us if that is an actual wing of Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's some sub sub Twitter section of film Twitter. But anyway, moving on from that, I think, yeah, I, I did enjoy that. And I think that this is maybe a weird, this is like a weird thing to say. And, I, and I'll make, I'll say after why it maybe is a weird thing to say. Because I think that it did itself a lot of favors, right? Because it's built up to this massive fight. And there's like half an hour left in the movie. I mean, there's like a good chunk of time when they get to Hong Kong, you know, Kong's out of Hollow Earth and is about to fight Godzilla, and they're, they're, I'm like, wow, this even like a half hour fight like that feels like a really long time just to have these two guys punching each other, because um, that can get pretty boring. I think 
I think they, they do some cool stuff with it and they try to get creative over the course of the whole monster verse with how Godzilla fights and, you know, Kong fighting. It can be very kinetic, I think, at times as well. Um, it's one of the reasons why I still like Skull Island, even though its characters were just so poor. I, I think that the action sequences with Kong in particular are really fascinating because he's a more kinetic character than Godzilla is, who's a pretty slow giant lizard. Ultimately, like he's an old, you know, water dino, essentially, and, and it has the speed of one um you know in, in these fights and so adding that kinetic energy really fun it's an interesting mix and match there but a half hour of it seemed like really daunting to me um but then it made sense right where you know half of that time is the two of them squaring off and you get a resolution to that fight and then you have this sort of you know throw in this mecha godzilla character this like super overpowered like looks like it's going to to defeat godzilla because of you know the the energy that Damien Bashir and his daughter's characters were able to harvest from Hollow Earth. What a f- meaningless statement I just said. Absolutely cannot believe I just had said all those words <laughs> together. Um, and wow, this is horrible. So, um, so much of what we're saying, honestly, is just <laughs> a different language. Honestly, that yeah, makes no sense. Absolutely. Um, but I, I like that. I think that that added a, a very a, a nice, um, refreshing element to the final climactic battle. And you know. <laughs> I do think like the reviving Kong <laughs> blowing up the oh is so dumb. It's <laughs> the dumbest thing. And also um, like Mechagodzilla ultimately gets defeated because Julian Dennison's character, right, decides to spill a flask of liquor yeah, yeah, on like yeah. this control panel and basically short circuits him for like 10 seconds and that yeah. allows them to to defeat him. Like really? Like after all this hype and this, you know, huge fight and and we're gonna find out who is the strongest of all the monsters or whatever and no they kind of went on technicality in a way right because mechagodzilla is a little bit maybe underpowered because you yeah. know of this like Chekhov's gun thing with brian tyree henry having this flask that comes up yeah. early in, earlier in the movie yeah look you're not wrong uh we'll, we'll never know if the the tag team of godzilla and kong could have taken out mechagodzilla without the help um of the liquor flask, but I, I, <laughs> I still enjoyed sort of the, the, the sort of twist up or, or mash up nature of, of the final half hour. And I think for that reason, the fact that there were, you know, a part, there was a part one and a part two of, of this fight with different elements in those two parts. I, I think that it was successful um, because the 15 minute segments or however you want to break it up right in and of themselves, I think are, are really captivating um, and what they're able to accomplish with, this sort of like, you know, big monster, small world fights and their CG. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say what I enjoyed, and I mentioned this on my letterbox, is that the the absolute and utter lack of confidence that Kong's handlers, so to speak, had in Kong uh, from the very beginning of the movie is honestly kind of hilarious to me. Uh, like from the very beginning, like the first conversation they have about like, what's going to ha- what are they going to do with Kong? They're like, well, obviously we can't we can't let him out because then yeah. Godzilla is going to fight him and he's just going to get his ass beat. Like no <laughs> yeah. chance whatsoever. Like, they give him absolutely no chances. It, it's so funny to me, right? Cause there was this, this debate for months, right? It, like leading up to this movie and Godzilla will be coming, like, what team are you on? Who is going to win this fight? Like, you know, which monster do you believe is stronger? And then like five minutes into the movie, Kong's people, the ones who you would suspect to be like, oh, so strongly in Kong's corner are just like, yeah, no, nah, he's got no chance. <laughs> and his ass turns beat. out, yeah, like he, you know, he doesn't, right? Like we see him get beat up by Godzilla multiple times in this movie. There's there's really only like one small segment right at the beginning of the final fight where Kong kind of has the upper hand. Um, it definitely seems like, though, if you want to declare who a winner was, then it's Godzilla, right? Like Definitely. He, he kind of gets the better of, of Kong for sure. But yeah, I mean, look, look, you have to ask yourself, Scott, is that in, in terms of the things you've never seen, going back to never before seen on screen before, have you ever seen a giant ape pop his shoulder back into place? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. But you know what I have seen is giant beasts punching each other a lot. And that's kind of what some of this fighting felt like to me. And when? that just When have you seen that before? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, hmm, let me think. Uh, no, but... You know, that's kind of what a lot of this fighting felt like to me. And again, especially when I don't feel any sort of connection whatsoever to the things that are doing the punching, it gets a little monotonous after a while. So I'm glad that they did, you know, introduce like Mechagodzilla into it. What, what's whatever. There's this axe and stuff that 
has a little bit of a yeah. role in the final uh, battle, but like the parts that are just them, you know, going at it. Okay, fine. Like, cool. Like, again, I, I'm happy for the people who have been wanting to see this for so long and now they're, they're actually getting to see it right there. They're punching the crap out of each other, but it's just like, I don't, I don't feel anything right now from, from my perspective. I don't feel anything right now. I don't even really feel like, Hey, this is cool. What I'm watching. It's just, it's just there. Um, well, I, I will be the voice opposite and say, I thought it was cool. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, again, let's, let's make the point one more time. It's a pers personal preference. Yeah, totally. thing. Like uh, at the, it, at this the isn't end of like the day, Wonder Woman 1984 where we're sitting on here like, wow, this movie is shit. Like, it's legitimately bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like at the end of the day, this movie just wasn't for me. Uh, yeah. And so you can take that with a grain of salt and, you know, you can take, take it as gospel, right. That the people who it seemed like this movie were for a lot of them seem to be enjoying it. And that's because at yeah. the end of the day, I think Adam Wingard is a pretty good filmmaker. You know, he's had a, a few misfires here and there, but, you know, The Guest and Your Next, the two movies that he kicked off his career with, are both really strong, I think. Um, you were very merciful leaving out Blair Witch and Death Note. Well, I said misfires, uh, yeah. kind of alluding to those. But, you know, the Blair Witch remake even has its defenders out there. I'm not one of them, but that's probably because I hold the, the first movie in such high regard. But, you know, he's a good filmmaker. I think that's why... I can look at this movie and be like, okay, well, this is at least more confidently put together than, you know, a a Jurassic World movie, right? Which, uh, you know, to be honest, I don't find Colin Trevorrow or J.A. Bayona to be strong filmmakers. Uh, but I, I do think Adam Wingard has something there. And, and you could see that um, even if you don't appreciate the film, you know, and I'm certainly, I certainly fall in that camp. But all right, Scott. Is, uh, is Trevorrow doing, he's doing Jurassic World 3, right? I believe that is correct. Yeah. Blessed. Joy to the world. Uh, let's uh, no, let's not put a score on it yet. First, let's say what our, our favorite senior moment was in uh, Godzilla v. Kong, Scott. Yeah, I, I think for me, uh, I, I did enjoy. Look, the final fight is what the final fight is. But I was I was really, you know, enjoying the the fight in the in the in the sea. Right. I mean, none of it makes any sense. Let's, let's be really clear. And going back to the point earlier, they're like, it makes no sense that this ship can support kong jumping across it and like climbing back onto it from the middle of the water like like i'm not a master physics person but i can't imagine that it can support a giant girl but the, and just that when they airlift him to the hollow air and then like the slow-mo dropping of him out of the the plane or whatever yeah. into the, it was one of the funniest things ever to me but like again like uh, the ultimate and like we're just we're taking this so seriously right it's like this is some supposed to be some solemn sober moment right where a freaking gigantic ape is getting dropped out of a hair out of an airplane into this yeah. you know antarctica Earth world or whatever like yeah exactly antarctica like that we should be laughing our our faces off right now yeah like, him dropping through hollow earth was it was it to hollow earth was a different thing but right, uh right, yeah, right. No, yeah it was still funny oh i did want before we do wrap up though I, I know i mentioned my favorite scene but i wanted to go back and say the reason why i think it's ironic uh slightly ironic that i that i was mentioning that it, i like the fact that they introduced a third monster to fight uh to, to switch things up is that that i think a pretty you know when i recently rewatched batman versus superman going into uh zach snyder's justice league i i thought this before but i, I mean first things first a long time bvs defender on the podcast i'm a bvs defender no more did not think it was a good movie upon a re upon a rewatch and one of the biggest defenders <laughs> is that it, it, batman versus superman Right. Very similar to how Godzilla versus Kong is shaping up here is that they're, you know, you have the two title characters, they're fighting it out. And then third act twist, there's actually Doomsday, right? Like, sorry, big spoiler for Batman versus Superman. For some reason, you hadn't seen it and you cared at all. Um, but it's like what a terrible choice in, in the film to introduce Doomsday in Batman versus Superman to just like, you know, sins of the father when it comes to also being a problem with Man of Steel with its sort of like bombastic, you know, destruction porn ending. But I actually thought like Godzilla versus Kong felt like it. Yes, it ultimately is that like on paper, but like it didn't feel like that. Like it didn't feel the same as some of those other movies to me, at least um, like a Man of Steel or a Batman versus Superman. Um, and so I, I appreciate it for that. But that why I, I wanted to mention that there because it was like such a weird, ironic thing. Be like, oh, it was great that they introduced Mechagodzilla into it. When I'm like, God, I cannot believe they introduced Doomsday yeah. Batman versus Superman. But whatever. Yeah, my favorite scene was probably the the Godzilla versus the first Godzilla versus Kong fight. Yeah, uh, I will call out the only couple of moments which I felt like 
actually were the tone that I wanted from the movie, which are the very beginning and end, particularly the use of music, right? Like I wish that um, this sort of off kilter music had um, been used throughout the movie, but like at the very end, particularly, you know, they're playing uh, the air I breathe, the Holly song. And we see Kong just sort of romping around through his new home on the hollow earth. Um, And that was like, again, that was the sort of campy stuff that I, I wanted to see in the movie. I wanted to see these, you know, beasts just sort of romping around while, you know, fun 70s songs are playing or something in the background. Like that, that to me would have been far more engaging and entertaining than ultimately what we got. So, you know, they, they, they seemed like they knew what should have been done. And again, I say should have been done, should have been done to appease me. Um, yeah. But they just, they never really, really went that uh, yeah. all the way with it. You should tweet it at the Wingard. You should just yeah. tweet Adam Wingard for the next, for his uh, for his face off, you know, refresh. I think that. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, though, like, that. look, I, I am I am saying I am qualifying my criticisms a lot by saying, oh, this is just a personal preference thing. But I'm not on my own island out here, right? Like, there, sure. I, I, there yeah. are definitely plenty of people who also feel the same way that I do. Um, and yeah, yeah, that is what it is. This type of movie is probably there. There's probably no way to make this type of movie that's going to please everyone, but. There's no way to make any type of movie that's going to please anyone. So uh, please everyone. So there's true. Uh, let's put a score on it. Scott Godzilla be calm. What do you give it? 7.0. Okay. Uh, 4.0 for me. Um, <laughs> I, again, I rec- I recognize <laughs> yeah. some of the, uh, the well-made elements of this movie and that it will satisfy those people who, you know, are, are here for this sort of thing. I am not one of those people. So like if I'm rating, if I'm rating based on my personal preference, right, it's probably even lower than a 4.0 because I, you know, I didn't really enjoy the experience of watching this movie at all. Um, But I can recognize that there is some quality here um, in in the filmmaking to some degree. Um, So even, even though I think some poor choices were made that are objectively poor, but that's just me. Um, Yeah. I will say, yeah, I will say, say, you heard it here first guarantee you hbo max is going to green light some hollow earth tv streaming series like a thousand percent it's going to happen just just please like let's please get rebecca hall out of here right like if there is no way in hell she's going to be anywhere near this movie rebecca hall if they are holding a gun to your head blink twice right now because you need to be out there doing Christy, this is what happens, right? This is what happens when somebody like Rebecca Hall goes out and gives a performance that not only should have been nominated for an Oscar, but should have won the Oscar hands down in Christine. And then they get absolutely no recognition for it. They're like, well, screw this. I'm just going to go make the dumbest movie that I could possibly think of. It's like the Adam Sandler. It's, you know, say, it's the Adam Sandler. Energy. Yeah, it's the Adam Sandler idea of like, well, I didn't get the nomination for Uncut Gems and I'm going to go make you know, the same type of movies that I've been making for 35 years. I mean, gosh, um, she was in Holmes, Holmes and Watson. So I think she'd already done that before. <laughs> so. Yeah. Look, she, she has her fair, fair uh, share of, of misfire. She needs a new agent, I think. Cause like she's, she's so talented and she, she could show that in the right project. But if you look through her filmography, she's definitely has some, some clunkers in there. And this is, this is the latest one for, for me. So well, she has another Hall, film coming out later this year, doesn't she? Just get 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 out of this. Yeah, I I, I forget what it is though. It's like uh, with slash in or something like that. I don't. Okay. Um, and obviously she had her directorial debut, right? Which we already talked about on our Sundance episode with uh, with passing this year. So which I thought was pretty good. So um, th- there yeah. is that. She has that going for her. Um, but it's an anthology. She's got an anthology film set during the COVID nineteen pandemic, directed by Jonathan Cake and Bill Camp. Uh, I don't know about that covid movies uh it's too soon but um that's uh that's the topic for a future episode scott whenever that movie comes out i guess uh a topic oh. for now a couple topics for now though are the sag awards uh and a little bit of casting news which we'll be getting to right after the break so stay tuned To this episode of Some Like It, Scott. Scott, it's been a bit since we have gotten to talk about the uh, some the latest in movie news, um, but we have a few minutes here to touch on a couple of uh, big topics. And of course, it is still award season. It feels a little weird to be saying that in early April. Um, typically, the Oscars are are done by now, um, 
but we still have the Oscars to come. And, you know, one of the big predictors of the Oscars is the Screen Actors Guild Award, the Guild Awards in general, but the Screen Actors Guild Awards when you're talking about the performance categories. And those awards were held this past weekend. Um, and shedding some light, perhaps, uh, or maybe making some of these races even cloudier than we, we had uh, originally thought. You know, all along, I think we've kind of felt that the actress races are where the drama is going to be, right? Where, um, you know, we, we, there's a little bit of unpredictability about who's going to win. It seems like the acting races for, for actors um, are, are kind of, you know, locked up the typical sort of perennial favorites that you see when we get to this point of the year, every single year. Um, and the SAG Awards sort of confirmed that looking at that side of it first, right? Chadwick Boseman winning for best actor, um, as we expect him to do at the Oscars, and Daniel Kaluuya uh, winning for Best Supporting Actor for his role in Judas and the Black Messiah, uh, who's kind of emerged out of, out of you know, the, the shadows a little bit in awards season here, but I think that has a lot to do with how late this movie came out, um, how late Judas and the Black Messiah came out. But now, I mean, it seems like he's got this, this award locked down, um, and he will be most likely taking home the Oscar in the Best Supporting Actor category. Um, on the actress side, however, Scott, um, you know, the, the unpredictability continues in a way um, because I, I personally felt like Carrie Mulligan might have been building a little bit of steam. She won at the Critics' Choice Awards. Um, you know, people are praising her performance of Promising Young Woman, even the people who maybe didn't enjoy the movie as much. Um, but it was Viola Davis, uh, Academy Award winner, who took home the, the award here for her performance. Also in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, of course, Chadwick Boseman awarded for that movie as well. Um, and maybe puts her now probably as the odds on favorite to be to win the Oscar, though I still think that, you know, there's there's some room for uh, surprise here. You know, we had a little bit of a mild surprise um, a couple of years ago when uh, Olivia Coleman upset Glenn Close. Um, for this award. I don't remember who won the SAG award that year. I feel like it might've been Glenn Close, but I'm not, I'm not sure, but I feel like there is a, there is room for that level of like mild upset maybe to happen at the Oscars in this category. And I do think, I still do think that Carrie Mulligan would probably be the person who has the best chance to pull off that sort of mild upset. If someone is going to, to knock Viola Davis off of this top position. Yeah. Uh, what I do think you think the about is the for... actress race? Well, yeah. So I was about, I was just going to jump right off that. I think that, Viola Davis, you know, Francis McDormand, Carrie Mulligan, maybe Francis McDormand being the longest shot there. But I think between Carrie Mulligan and Viola Davis, I don't think that there is an upset. Just like I, I didn't really think back in 20, I guess it was 2018 for the 2017 films. I didn't think Olivia Coleman over Glenn Close was a true upset. It was like it was going to be one of those two. It was one of those two. And it was like a coin flip. It had, I, To me, it felt like a coin flip. I was reading that Glenn Close would finally get her Oscar. She certainly deserved it. It was a great performance in The Wife. It, it was a close call. Again, I like. I think if you had looked at the odds, maybe then like Glenn Close would have been slightly favored, and, and I think that's kind of the point I'm trying to yeah, make, right? That like, maybe, Viola but when Davis it's that probably close, be right? Like, it's not really an upset. J just like no pun, I don't. No pun intended. When it's that close. But sorry, go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it's, I mean, it's no, no, Glenn no, no, yeah, Close. I, I got it. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I just think I just think like it's like Gonzaga and and Baylor last night. Like, wasn't a, it wasn't an upset? Like Baylor won, but it wasn't an upset. Oh yeah. Um, even though Gonzaga certainly, I mean, they were the odds-on favorites to win. They, you know, whatever their line yeah, was, but, four and a half. But I think it's, a, I think it's a similar thing. Like technically, it's a slight upset. I don't think that it, that it, I would call it like an upset win or not. Just like I wouldn't call it that, and I wouldn't call it for these two either. To get us back on topic, I think that this just reiterates to me that you know the race isn't over. If Carrie Mulligan had won, I'd been like, well, she's definitely the favorite now. I'm like maybe Viola Davis going, but then it would be an upset. Um, and I think that that just kind of keeps it in the race. I think that it probably does tilt in Viola Davis' favor because it is a Guild Award versus the Critics' yeah. Choice. And the Critics, I mean, there's no people voting in the Critics' Choice Awards that vote on the vote in the Academy. But the SAG, you know, they all vote. I mean, everyone there votes. I, I believe mo pretty much everyone votes. I mean, okay, not necessarily everyone, but a good number of people that there is some yeah. overlap there uh, as members of, um, you know, people who, who, who create film. And so I, I think that I would slightly tip the scale in, in her favor and Viola Davis, but... I think Carrie Mulligan still has a shout and again, maybe, maybe a slight upset, but Francis McDormand could still win as well in my book, just because she has that Oscar pedigree before having two, uh, two best actress awards already, you know, in the, uh, on the, on the shelf. I mean, Viola Davis, she has one, she has one supporting actress. 
yes, one for fences. Yeah. yeah, for fences. So I guess it would be fitting. Yeah, I can't remember um, if that was a supporting or a lead. I think it was supporting. Yeah, I, I don't remember which it was either. It was probably, I mean, it definitely was a lead role in the film, but might have been in supporting category. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess that's kind of a funny thing, right? Because I feel like people all the time talk about like, oh, it's a, you know, this is a play, right? Just like Fences was. If she gets another Academy Award for it, it would be interesting uh, in that respect. Although it would be really weird if Ma Rainey's Black Bottom won two acting awards. Because, I mean, that was a great movie. It was certainly a, um, an actor showcase, but it feels a little weird to me for it to win um, two awards. But that is, that's neither here nor there. I suppose uh, Chadwick Boseman almost certainly will be winning that award, but yeah, you Jen, you know, the other one, right? Like in the, in the supporting. Yeah. Actors, I was category. getting there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean th- this one, speaking of Glenn close, she's, is she, she's not nominated at the Oscars though. Is she, I don't think so. Glenn close is. Yeah. She is. Oh, she is. She is nominated yeah. in the Oscars for it. Yeah. I know no, she's nominated supporting here, actress but. is kind of the biggest question mark here. Well, you know, circling back to actress really quickly, you know, sure, the, yeah. I think that the point of our conversation is the race isn't over, right? Like there, no. there is room for, unpredictability here and that's nice because in past years right like yeah at least in last last year last year like all of the races were pretty much in the bag uh all the acting races were pretty much in the bag and the year before too it doesn't feel like that with best actress here um but best supporting actress yeah no this is an even bigger question mark uh of course we had the really weird uh you know example of jodie foster winning um, at the Golden Globes, now not even nominated in the Oscars. And I don't even know if she was nominated for the SAG Awards either she was not. for her performance in the Mauritanian. Um, and then it seemed like, yeah, maybe Maria Bakalova, right, is going to be the favorite here. Um, if you had to point to somebody, she wins the Critics' Choice Awards. There's still a lot of buzz around this performance and what she was able to do comedically here. Uh, and, but then, yeah, you, you, you said it, Yoon Ye Jung um, wins here for her performance in uh minari um you know we had some some discourse last year with the the asian grandma character uh played by zhao shuzhen and the farewell not getting nominated um so maybe this is a little bit of a redemption moment possible here uh for union jung um if she's able to pull out the win at the oscars here for uh best supporting actress um i still think that um that Maria, maria bakalova does have a chance um to win this award. Uh, Glenn Close probably is a little bit on the outside looking in um, just because Hillbilly Elegy doesn't have great buzz around it at all. Um, and Glenn Close, you know, is a perennial loser uh, at the Oscars at least. She's a fine actress, but uh, at the Oscars she is. Um, and uh, and of course, Olivia Coleman, right? We just mentioned her name. She's, she's there in the mix too. Um, and you know, wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world either to see her pull it out, given her pedigree and given that people are just now getting around to seeing the father um, because it's, you know, it's sort of just now becoming available for people to watch and hitting theaters, I believe. So um, I can see that being an, a late riser in the way that sort of Daniel Kaluuya has been um, to some extent with Judas of the Black Messiah um, coming out a little bit later uh, than some of the other nominated movies. Um, Scott, your feelings on this category yeah in the supporting actress category scott i have absolutely no clue who's who's gonna win this thing like literally none um at the oscars yeah you know i I think it's pretty much the same list of nominees except for amanda seyfried is in there whereas it was sure and she also has she also has certainly has a chance amanda seyfried sorry i I forgot to mention her name as well but like again would not be shocked if she wins at all like it's it it truly is awesome yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, the only person I feel like who definitely isn't going to win is Glenn Close. Like, that, I'm just, like, very confident that she yeah, will not win. But other than that, it's, it does feel like, all right, yeah, cool, yeah, I could totally see any of these people winning. You know, I would say that about Maria Bakalova, too, if she hadn't already won an award this season and there wasn't still some hype um, around this movie just for, like, the cultural work that it is in terms of Borat's subsequent movie film. But then, yeah, Olivia Coleman, we haven't seen The Father yet. We are doing it next week. Spoiler um on the podcast so we'll have some thoughts about it then maybe we can follow up on this conversation then but you know maybe olivia coleman can pull it out wouldn't surprise me amanda seyfried coming out of nowhere maybe i mean that i don't think that's going to happen but again i don't think that's necessarily like a huge upset if she were to win i think that you kind of have to tilt it towards either a maria bakalova or a or a union jung right now just because of the track record in award season but if either four of those people that I just talked about won, I don't think that would be considered an upset. It just it's a total mixed bag. And and honestly, 
you know, I'd, I'd like it to be that it's a mixed bag because of just how strong the performances were this year. I just don't think that we have a lot of compelling supporting actress performances that you can point to and be like, oh, yeah, this is in the bag. Like, we don't – I know that you disagree to some extent, but, like, you don't have uh, um, a Laura Dern from Marriage Story this year. Like, you don't have a Regina King from um, Beale Street. You know, th- this year just doesn't have those types of performances. I mean, you can argue about whether or not you – put a different performance in or not, but in the ones nominated, you just don't have that. Um, and I think that right. was because that was a general dearth of like strong supporting uh, actress performances this year compared to other years. Yeah. And then Scott, you know, at the, the SAG Awards, sort of their equivalent of best picture, right? Best ensemble um, was yeah. won by a movie, which we've talked about as fading maybe from the Oscar picture. That is the trial of the Chicago seven. Yeah. Um, personally, I don't feel that this, you know, is any sort of positive sign necessarily for them for Oscar season. I just think that this was a case of maybe there being a lack of ensemble of big ensembles of in movies in in 2020 of movies that were nominated. And this movie being probably the clearest example of a movie you could point to and be like, Oh, here, this is a legitimate ensemble cast, right? You have so many actors and like, you have so many characters in this, you have so many big name actors you know, I think there are highs and lows within the cast, but there's nobody that you really point to and like, oh, that was a terrible performance, right? It's it's a pretty solid, uh, you know, ensemble all around. And so I think I, I, I attributed its win more to that maybe than uh, to some sign that people are coming around and that this movie is now firmly back in the best picture race, challenging Nomadland. Um, it could get there. It could. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's like, you know, a, a long shot or anything. Um, but I don't read uh, its win. I don't read too much into its win here. Uh, do you feel the same? Yeah, I do feel the same. It doesn't feel like last year when Parasite won this award, you know, at the time, yeah. 1917, which was its main competitor for the best picture, just like Nomadland was not in this category at the SAG Awards. Because um, they're not ensemble films. I was going to say, for yeah. obvious reasons, they are not ensemble films. Um, and so it, it's hard to make a direct comparison. But last year, like Parasite winning that award, like, felt like, wow, like, this is momentum. This is an upset because it still overcame things like The Irishman, which I think probably, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which were probably the two favorites for that award going in, in the traditional sense, just, you know, Parasite being sort of an outsider, um, foreign language film. They're obviously, I mean, there's still to some extent, still that stigma attached. I mean, Minari was in the category this year, didn't win. Um, but anyway, like pushing that stigma aside, wins the award. Feels like it's building momentum because Bong, um, like just really in the conversation for best director, which I think Aaron Sorkin, I mean, he didn't even get nominated um, right. for best director at the, at the Academy Awards. So does that mean Trial of the Chicago 7 can't win best picture? That doesn't mean that, but I don't think it's the same trajectory or story being built around it that Parasite had and plus parasite i mean the reviews for that movie are are were, were and are incredible and it's an amazing film and it was still building buzz the buzz for Charlie chicago 7 fell off months ago like no one's talking about that film really anymore um in terms of like discourse and um uh, you know in in places where discourse happens that's such a yeah, weird thing it was a well-reviewed movie but yeah like in terms of people you know still talking about it i i do agree and, and look like just two years ago we had a movie that one best picture that was not nominated for best director, right? Green book, Peter Farrelly was not nominated for best director. Oh um, so it, it can happen. It certainly can happen. Um, sure. But I still put my money on nomad land at this point. I haven't seen anything to suggest that there is any reason for them to, to have some creeping doubts. Um, you know, especially not it losing. I mean, I don't even think it was nominated for ensemble probably. Although, I would, you know, I'm not going to go too far down this road, but like you could arguably call it an ensemble film just because I think there are so many other characters that end up playing a, you know, important role to some extent. And like, you know, again, when you factor in the whole like real people aspect of it, when you think about like Linda May and Swanky and Bob Wells and even, you know, Fern's sister and, um, you know, just a lot of the random people that she encounters, it's not what we think of as a traditional ensemble piece, right? So like like the trial of the Chicago Seven. Yeah. And, um, and this award traditionally, like we give crap for awards, like doing some like right. weird stuff and giving people awards that doesn't really feel like it fits the actual performance that they had. But like the ensemble award for the most part, like has actually gone to ensemble movies. Yeah, Parasite, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and traditionally, and like I shouldn't say traditionally, but in like the last handful of years, I mean, 
between I think Spotlight before Parasite Spotlight was the last time that the best ensemble predicted the best picture winner. So like I think the year before, um, like I know well I guess this isn't the year before time, but three billboards won the best ensemble in that year. I think Black Panther won the year after that, and then um and then of course Parasite won won last year. But I think that there is it's not necessarily it is the equivalent of best picture for the SAG Awards, yeah. but it's not over here trying to be best picture either, I don't think. And I think the sort of the results recently, at least, has played that out. Yeah. Well, look, Scott, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty much winding down to the end here. We, we really have the, the Oscars is really the, the only more big award show left. Um, and so, you know, we'll. It, it'll be uh, it'll be all over but the shouting in, in a few weeks and we can sort of you know, I'm sure do, you'll the shout. Auto- do the autopsy yeah, on on how uh, correct or incorrect we were about our predictions here. But, um, you know, we, we, we enjoy talking about awards season in this new section. Always. It's been kind of nice to have an extended awards season to some extent to be yeah. able to, to talk about it a little bit longer. But something else we enjoy talking about in this section, Scott, is casting news. And you have some interesting casting news. Um, to tell us about uh, related to Jordan Peele's next movie. So uh, as a disclaimer, I work for NBC Universal and Jordan Peele's next movie is a universal film. So I'll throw that out there first. But this was publicly announced information, not anything that I I have on on the down low. Uh, But it was announced, I believe, last week that Steven Yoon. So speaking of Minari, we were just a few minutes ago. Steven Yoon is going is in talks to be either have either be the lead or play a major supporting role in Jordan Peele's uh, un, you know, his next project, which is untitled plot details, completely under wrap. But so there's really not that much to talk about, to be honest, Scott. But just to say that, you know, we talked about how excited we were that Steven Yoon, you know, had this sort of like, I don't want to say it was a breakout role because he's been around for so long and he's very famous for playing other roles as well, mostly on TV, but other other performances also. But to like have this sort of like film, what felt like a film breakthrough for him. I mean, he didn't he did get no, he did get the Oscar nomination. I was about to say he didn't get nominated, but he did get the Oscar nomination. Um, at the end of the day, and to really feel like he's pushing through into the film world and then to be associated with with a project that is, you know, that is an event film like Jordan Peele is right even after only two films is like in the conversation of like you go see a movie because it's a Jordan Peele directed movie. Right. He's up there with the Tarantino, with the Nolan, with um, Wes Anderson, James with Cameron, yeah. in my Shyamalan, James Cameron. Yeah. I mean, obviously, he makes different kinds of movies than a lot of those people, but his movies are event films. And so to be associated in that way. Uh, with Jordan Peele's next film, whether he is the lead or whether he is in a supporting role, I imagine it probably ends up being some sort of major supporting role. But that's really exciting. I'm excited for him. Um, he's a fantastic. He gives a fantastic performance in Minari, and I'm looking forward to what he does with with Jordan Peele and you know his and Jordan Peele's you know unique sort of brand of of sort of modern horror films. Yeah, I, and you know it's impo- it's hard to talk about this without talking about the representation aspect of it as well, right? Like that. Absolutely even less so than black actors probably do we see asian actors in leading man roles right um yeah. in in productions this big right to the point that sure. you're kind of getting at there with jordan yeah. with this being an event film um you know scott we've t- we we have talked about um some an actor that we admire greatly that has been in a couple of our favorite films from the last few years john cho of course um and how yeah. at least you know i i have been vocal at social media and stuff how I would really love to see John Cho become a leading man. And I feel like the only reason that he has not become a leading man is because he's Asian. Um, and so even if it's not John Cho, it's nice to see that uh, Stephen Yeun, who I also think is, is very talented and, um, you know, I was a big fan of his performance in Minaria here. He's very good at burning as well, which I want to um, yeah, catch yeah. up with. And of course, you know, his breakthrough all in The Walking Dead. So it, it's nice to see it's nice to see Asian actors getting representation on yeah, such a big stage. Especially in a year right this year where we're going to have the first Asian American led um, superhero, superhero yeah. movie with in, in the MCU with um, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. So I mean, that's a that's a big deal there as well. So it feels like, you know, maybe this is just a super obvious thing to say, but it really does feel like Parasite, even though it was a foreign language film, is creating breakthrough moments for korean at least you know at the very least korean actors and actresses to star in you know hollywood movies yeah and 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 that of course is is great to see um scott one thing is chinese i don't know why i said that i mean isn't that 
I don't actually, I forget that. No, it's Simu Liu. I mean, so, so that's Chinese. Simu yeah. Liu is the actor. Yeah. yeah I believe Chinese. he is Chinese. Yeah. I have to mention, uh, speaking of foreign actors, although this is a person that you necessarily think of as being a foreign actor, I forgot to mention during our SAG wrap up there, I have to just give a shout out that Anya Taylor Joy um, did again win uh, for her performance in The Queen's Gambit. It seems like all signs are good for her at the Emmys, which of course are you know, outside of award way, season, typically happen out. during the fall, I believe. Um, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, there will be some time to pass before that, but she's got the Golden Globe. She's got the SAG Award now. She's got bad timing um, is what we call that at the Emmys. I and mean, she came out right after, right yeah. after the last year. She she does have bad timing. You know, let's see what sort of miniseries um, come out over the yeah. next few months, right? But there's uh, Mayor of East Town is, is like the big, one of the big HBO ones that. Okay. I can't remember who is it. Kate Winslet. I can't remember right now. Yeah. I still feel like at this point, people are still talking about her performance at, at the very least in Queens Gambit. And I, yeah. you know, I, I could s still see it having a lot of buzz and just buzz around her in general as an actress, especially because she has at least, well, I don't think last night in Soho will have come out at that point, but um, it'll be close. It'll probably be building up to it. Right. I think, I think yeah. last night in Soho is October. So October, be the yeah, I think that sounds right. So I don't know if she'll have any movies between now and then, but it, it seems like people it, buzz around her just as an actress is is building, and so it would be nice yeah. to see that continue through to the Emmys and see her get the win there. But anyway, just have to yeah. give a shout out, uh, you know, to the Queen. Uh, on yeah, her win. yeah. So Kate Winslet's the lead in Mayor, Mayor of Easttown, okay. which is I think that starts in the next couple of weeks, but it's like a crime drama, kind of your I would almost say She's like got enough awards, typical HBO crime drama that will rake in the awards but um yeah we'll, we'll see we'll see how good it is yeah let's hope it's like a kind of a mixed bag like the undoing was right because in another year i feel like yeah um she could have faced a lot of challenge from nicole kidman if this was like a big little lies style like critical and commercial hit and i don't but i just don't feel like the the undoing ever got there so we'll see if mayor of east town uh will be mayor and m-a-r-e mayor mayor of east town right okay yeah. Uh, we'll see if that'll be the, the one for HBO. But uh, all right, Scott, uh, I think that should do it for this episode of Some Like It. Scott, where can our listeners find you on Twitter? At Shelton 2013 as well as on Letterboxd. Yep, and I'm at Scarvy Dent on Twitter and Letterboxd as well. Uh, follow us over there. We hope you will support our podcast as well. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. Uh, various tiers over there. Even if you can't support us on Patreon, though, uh, Please like, rate, review, subscribe, do all of the things that you do uh, on your preferred podcast app. And we hope uh, that you will be back for our next episode of Some Like It's Got, in which we will be reviewing the final Best Picture nominee that we have not seen, uh, and that is The Father. Uh, but until then, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you down the road. Mm -hmm.